welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersection of spirituality and humanity. Now let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. So we're starting a new, I don't know, series or special event on the podcast here where I have so many questions from all you beautiful souls, and this is going to give me an opportunity to answer them. We don't know how many times a month we'll do it, but it's a way to come to this space and give you an opportunity to get your questions answered. So as they say in social media land, let's get into it. The first question I'd like to talk about today is what is the role of ritual in spirituality? So before I forget I have a resource guide that will be coming later this year called a Creating a Contemplative Spiritual Practice, because I think this is a question that a lot of people uh, are asking, especially for those of us who have left any kind of corporate worship style or spiritual community, and we're looking for meaningful ways to connect our spirituality and our humanity or ways to find balance and peace in our lives the way ritual can help us. It can also be like a rite of passage through holding space for our grief or acknowledging something going on in our life. So these are very much symbolic things that hold deep meaning to us. They can be religious in nature or they can be spiritual. Those two words are used synonymously often, but they are very different. Religion should be like a container that helps, our, like a conduit to help our spiritual experience in its purest form. Whereas spirituality is something that we have regardless of our religious affiliation with, with or without religion, your spirituality can and does exist. So this helps us connect to people, but ritual can also be done uh, alone. It's about this place of finding a way to connect with our inner self, this indwelling presence that I talk about a lot in my courses and in my live teachings and finding what is our higher self our truest self? And how are we acknowledging that or affirming that through this ritual? Or how are we honoring this rite of passage or this passage of time in a way that's significant to us? So it gives us a sense of meaning. It can give us a sense of structure and order. It can also be very comforting to us in difficult times. So it's not uncommon for people to honor anniversaries in different ways. So whether or not it's going to visit a grave versus doing something meaningful to you around the anniversary of uh, the passing of a loved one, even a pet, that is a ritual. It can be something as simple as that. So they don't have to be complicated. They can be something that's meaningful to you. And like I said, it can be, it can help hold the container for difficult emotions or just big, big emotions that might be uh, coming up. Some people hold a ritual around significant life changes. And that can be from a divorce to the time that uh, someone receives their menstruation, the different things. What is meaningful to you that felt like it was so significant in your life that you want to honor it in some way? And you can use simple uh, mementos or items that can become sacred relics for you. And that can be as simple as a candle, incense, water, bringing in the earth elements into your ritual are, are very symbolic. Anything that holds spiritual significance to you, um, they can be, it can be deeply personal. A lot of times people use jewelry 
from their ancestors or pictures from their ancestors or uh, mementos. Like I have handkerchiefs and watches from my ancestors. I use those often or anything. I pick up feathers. They seem to be be gifted to me because I made a commitment long time ago not to purchase feathers from big box stores or any place where you cannot cite the source because the industry is so inhumane. So when I did that, I find feathers all the time. They just are there from big hawk feathers to crow feathers to tiny, the tiniest little turtle doves. They're all over the place all the time. Do I feel like that's a little bit of a universal cooperation? I do. And I use those in my ritual. I lay them around a lot of times. So I like to bring in elements of nature and of the earth. Now, some will say, especially if you're coming from this and you might even be feeling this like, well, how do I know I'm doing it right? There is no right or wrong way. And someone who's telling you that you're doing ritual wrong is someone who's entrenched in this dogmatic indoctrination that compels them to believe that they have the right to gatekeep how you're using ritual in your life. And part of your belief that you might be doing it wrong is you holding on to that same kind of belief. So what is it that you need to let go of so that you can create ritual? You can't see behind me is an incense burner, an essential oil diffuser, a couple of candles and a little doll that one of my friends made me and a and a piece of clear quartz. And I often don't show my rituals because they're so personal for me, but it's right behind me. And I keep it there for a reason because it it's just something that I feel good to have behind me when I'm working. But I, I set those up in different places in my house, depending on what I'm invoking or what I'm feeling at the time. Now, in my resource guide called Creating a Contemplative Spiritual Practice, I talk a lot about what is a contemplative practice and how you can bring that into your your life and how you can bring it into ritual. But that can be something as simple as yoga, something as simple as breath work. And I have some examples of breath work in there. It can be whatever it is that feels good to you. What we want to be careful about is incorporating rituals from traditions in a way that's appropriating them. So you will hear things about closed practices and a closed practice is means that it is a ritual that's only to be used by those who are a part of a certain tradition. So very much in the uh, Native American traditions, in the, in the voodoo traditions, in some of the Black ancestral traditions, there are places where there are those are closed practices that aren't available to us. You're seeing this a lot. There was a video that went around last year on TikTok that showed a white woman, I think she was in Arizona, and she had a group of white women with her, and she was chanting some Hawaiian uh, native chant. And she was getting called out all over the place because she wasn't chanting the words right. The cadence was wrong, and she's in Arizona. And they're all white. Nobody in the group was of native Hawaiian descent. And they were asking, why, why are you doing this? Now, if you want to bring somebody who has that heritage into the group, that's certainly okay. And then also commercializing it in that way. Now, if that speaks to you in a private setting where you're then not taking it out to show people in a, in a showmanship kind of way then that's something different. There could be something echoing back to your own DNA that you feel comforted by that. I have very little Native American, indigenous Native blood. It's back there, several generations. 
And I'm very much called to some of the drumming and this tradition of listening to that music and to that cadence, but I don't talk about it or encourage it or practice it in a way that I would ever make a video about it. It is not my practice. That would be appropriation. But as part of something that I do in a personal setting, I purchase the music from those who are creating it as part of their heritage. And I listen to it because then they are rewarded for their work financially. And I get to listen to it because there's something in me that wants to be connected to that. And I very much feel it. And so I, I hope you understand the difference between personally experiencing it and appropriating it in a way where you're you're showing that out in a, a way that somehow people assume that that is part of your heritage. And that's just something that we can't do. And I don't do any of the closed practices. And another closed practice that you hear a lot of that's very controversial is using white sage in your practice, because we have been repeatedly told that it is being over overproduced, I'm sorry, over harvested. And to the point where the Native Americans do not have enough to use to resource for their own practices. So we do not use that. Now, I have been given permission by someone of the, a Native American descendant who gifted me some white sage for me to use in, in ceremony, but I only use that in a personal setting. I don't do that in a place where I'm going to show people how I use it or what I use it for. And actually, I don't even use it. It feels so sacred to me that I, I think I've only burned it one or once or twice in a very meaningful way for me. So I hope that helps. And you can be looking for the resource guide coming soon. One of the things that also happened during COVID, ritual changed for many of us. Corporate worship changed for many of us. All of a sudden, people who were saying you have to be in church to be a good Christian and to be worthy of heaven, all of a sudden we're saying, well, okay, maybe you don't, maybe you don't have to be. So you, you know, you can change when you need to, but it also allowed some of us to get creative about the things that we want to do and consider a practice. So hope that helps. Okay. We have two questions and I'm going to combine them together. How can someone be spiritual without any beliefs in the supernatural? And how can someone integrate their spirituality into their daily, daily life? I, those two things kind of feel like they belong together. First of all, the supernatural, I'm not sure that word resonates with me. Um, I don't talk a lot about that because I also feel like that sometimes people can use those kinds of words to be dismissive of spirituality. Because even as I, after I've deconstructed from my religious heritage, which is evangelical Christianity, I will get people who will criticize me that I'm not an atheist. So they, they think that deconstructing means that you have to end up being an atheist. And that's simply not true. Deconstructing, it doesn't require anything other than you get to the point where you're releasing those beliefs that harmed you and, no, and are no longer serving your highest good. And you are now on a true, authentic, spiritual path. It doesn't mean that you have to believe in a divine presence, especially the the patriarchal anthropomorphized God sitting on a throne, which I don't, I no longer believe I deconstructed that belief. And what I really want to say my spirituality is, is that I sit with the mystery of the possibility of the divine creation that was part of the beginning of whatever this mystery of creation is. That's enough to sustain my spirituality and help compel me to keep moving forward to seeking to understand. So that's that's enough for me. So to say 
this supernatural, I wouldn't say I believe that. I would say that I just sit with the wonder and the curious. But spirituality has more to do with your humanity than what we've ever led to believe. A lot of us who were raised in high control, high demand religions really got that severed from us. And that was purposeful because if we could contain the threat of our influence over our humanness, our connection to other humans outside of our religious heritage and how we can be a force for good inside the human experience, those are things that high control religions can't control. They need to keep your eyes on them so that you continually fund and are devoted to them so that they can perpetuate that institution. When in reality, how our spirituality is webbed into our humanity is more of an accurate picture of the human experience that we are supposed to have. That's where I think religion loses its way when it's not helping us be a part of mending those two things together. So I think it's less about what we believe. It's less about how we show what we believe in the world and more about who we are as kind agents of leaving this world a better place than we found it. If we're not, then our spirituality is broken. I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you believe in a, a physical God that's able to zap down and help your Super Bowl team win. If it's not helping you show up as a kind person, that spirituality is broken. And I want nothing to do with it. I would much rather have someone who's willing to accept the fact that they know nothing about the divine experience and who or what God is. And they're showing up as a, as a good, kind person who's working for the good of the whole to elevate the human condition. Okay, so moving on. All right, last question. How is someone able to be multi-faith? And how does that differ from interfaith? And I thought this was a really interesting question because as an ordained interfaith, interspiritual minister, uh, this is going to speak to me. And the way we defined interfaith was having a respect for and an appreciation for a diverse religious and spiritual traditions. And we also honor the fact that it the purest form of these religious traditions, that there is an element of wisdom that is trying to figure out or answer the question of who we are and how we got here. Inner spiritual says that spirituality can and does exist outside the construct of organized religion. And that's true for me because I'm a spiritual but not religious seeker, even though I still hold on to my Christian identity as well. No one gets to kick me out. Multi-faith, on the other hand, is saying that I'm going to be in a place where I'm not only drawing from these different these different experiences, I am bringing them in and incorporating them into my spirituality. You got to be really careful with multi-faith because you have to be sure that you're not appropriating. We were just talking about that with rituals. And you have to be very careful that this isn't a way for you to circumvent and disrespect some of the traditions, which as an interfaith minister, I am not here to speak on Judaism. I'm not here to speak on Islam. I'm not here to speak on the Baha'i faith. I'm not here to speak on Zoroastrianism. I'm not here to speak on Sufism. Even though I studied all of those, I'm certainly not an expert, but it is not my heritage or my expertise or even my tradition to be able to come and teach to you. Now, can I teach insights? Can I talk a little bit about what something is? Of course I can. 
in a way that honors what truth that they're trying to, to, to go after or seek inside their religious tradition. So interfaith says, I'm, I'm here and I acknowledge that these exist, while multi-faith says, I want to figure out how these religions can help me and serve me on my path. Now, a way that you'll find, you'll find this used quite often is in weddings, where someone, where you have two different people from two different backgrounds and traditions want to come in and incorporate their faiths and their traditions inside their ritual. So here we go, ritual and uh, multi-faith and combine that as in a blessing. And I've had that happen several times. So that means I need to study so that I'm not using words or doing something that would be disrespectful during that practice or for that ceremony that, that, that fits the occasion. And so you want to be mindful of that as well. If you're going to do that, that you make sure that you have your officiant be prepared by giving them as much knowledge as they need to be able to do that in a respectful way for that tradition. And that's okay. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Now you might see, and sometimes I've seen people get called out on that word. You might have two white people bringing in uh, an African tradition into their wedding. That's not necessarily a good thing. And really a minister should be the one to hold the space to say, uh, wh- where is this ritual coming from? Why are you bringing this in? And I've seen people dismiss their minister if they will not take part in something that they're wanting them to be a part of for their ceremony. But I wouldn't hesitate one minute to call out a certain tradition if it wasn't part of their heritage, because I understand the importance of making sure that we're not appropriating culturally, religiously, any kind of way that that is taking our experience and and suffocating the original experience by saying that ours matter and we can now claim it as our own. It's got a little bit of elements of colonialism in there, and we don't want to we don't want to be a part of that. Okay, those are my three questions. For today, that went a little faster than what I thought, but this is something, if you like this and you want to have um, a question answered in the future, you can email us at info at revcarla.com. You can also leave your question in direct messages on social media, or you can find it here in the comments on my YouTube channel where the uncut version of today's episode can be found at Spirituality Matters with Rev Carla. And of course, you can always connect with me at social media at Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok and our website at revcarla.com. Okay, beloveds, I am so honored to be in this space with you. Go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week. I'll see you soon.